Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are now on the 12th lesson of our third quarter, That's all about right. rest in Christ. Wow, lesson 12 already. I know. And this is the Restless Prophet, mm. an entire week devoted to the study of one character, an entire book of the Bible about Jonah. So I really enjoyed studying this week's lesson. I think there's going to be some good talking points that come out of it. So uh, I'm pretty pumped about this one. Yeah, so I want to hear those talking points, but we need to pray first. Yes, exactly right. Why don't you go ahead? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the testimony of your word. Lord, as we uh, seek to study this week this story of Jonah, I pray your Holy Spirit would uh, lead us to those points that will help us and our viewers to experience the most out of our Christian lives with you and to be a blessing to others. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, what are our talking points this week? Well, let me give a little overview first before we hit Mm. the individual points, but... Uh, You could spend your time this week in the lesson just going through the story of Jonah and recapping it for this, for the purposes of this particular episode. You know, that's a good point, too, because there, most Seventh-day Adventists, we know about Jonah, but there may be people in the class who don't, and it's important that the teacher... So I would recommend you not go ignore the story of Jonah, Jonah because you assume everybody knows it, but also don't spend your time like, now let's look at chapter two, what happened there? Well, you can right. retell it in probably a minute or so and just yeah. catch everybody up to speed. It's actually a pretty simple storyline itself, but some of the lessons that come out of it are, are incredibly important, I believe, and I think the lesson did well to bring them out. Uh, so basically, talking point number one this week is taken from Sunday, Wednesday, and Thursday's uh, lessons. It says, God works in us as we work for others. So clearly God is using Jonah, for example, right. in this to talk to other people. But he's still doing a work in Jonah, and there's a parallel to our lives today. So we're going to look at that. It's talking point number one. Okay. Talking point number two, peace comes as we see Christ in his sanctuary. Now, I thought there was a fascinating tie, and we'll get into that. Is on this, that one. Uh, this is on Jonah, right? Not Hebrews. It is on Jonah. And you would think, what does Jonah have to do with Christ in his sanctuary? Well, we're going to find out. And that's coming all from Monday's lesson. And then finally, talking point number three from Tuesday's lesson, a straight message has power to convict. Mm. And there's very little told about what Jonah said to the Ninevites, but what he said was right on point, yeah. and it worked. So we're going to see what that applies to us today, and the Lord, I think, is going to bless yeah, there in this no study. there was no listening to Jonah and saying, what's he getting at? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He was very square and succinct. All right, so let's start with this. God works in us as we work for others. Now, one of the things I thought was really interesting, and there in Sunday's lesson in paragraph 3, um, in fact, why don't you just read Sunday paragraph 3, if you wouldn't mind? Sure. Interestingly enough, this was not the first time that Jonah had been called to speak for God, as suggested by 2 Kings 14.25. In that case, however, Jonah appears to have done what the Lord had asked him to do. Not this time, however. Exactly. Now, what when typically we talk about the mm. story of Jonah, we jump right to the call to go to Nineveh, his reluctance and running away and fear and all those kind of things, which are true and valid. But this, I thought, was an interesting point to bring up that the, actually the first time Scripture introduces this Jonah is not in mm-hmm. the book of Jonah and with the Tarshish and Nineveh experience. It's actually back in 2 Kings 14 when he's called to speak to, I believe it was Jeroboam there at the time, talking about some inter, uh, inside yes. of Israel issues, right? And I'm sure they were important and whatnot, and it gives every impression that he 
had a message from God, he related to the correct person, and the people responded as they would, but there was no hint that Jonah was a problem prophet yeah. until well, we get to Jonah. Well, it's interesting because when you look at Jonah, or just a prophetic, you know, we think of Jonah, we never think of Jonah as a prophet to Israel. Mm -hmm. you know, his story is always to Nineveh, yet if you study scripture, the gift of prophecy is a spiritual gift of the church for the edifying of the church. Mm. You know, it, it, what's interesting, and I've in fact taught this sometimes, where people will say, "Well, what about Nostradamus as a prophet?" Of, you know, mm. and, well, true biblical prophets who passed the tests of the gift of prophecy ministered primarily to the church. They weren't given to give messages mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. Because the people outside, in fact, doesn't the Bible say that prophecy is for the believer? The building up, a sign up for the, the believer. Yeah. Or the tongues was a sign for the uh, because the prophet message was to the church. So mm -hmm. it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Only we just don't think of Jonah in that context. Exactly. So one of the things about Jonah's mission here to Nineveh was that it was odd that it's typically mm -hmm. inside of Israel, but here he's sent out to the Assyrians in right. the great city of Nineveh. Now. Now, when also on Sunday's lesson, in fact, right after that, it asked the rhetorical question, why? Why was Jonah reluctant to go on this mission where apparently he wasn't before? And then the rest of Sunday's lesson talks about really the, the, the cruelty and, and, and terror that would come to the someone Assyrian going. Nation. The Assyrian right. nation was a powerful, you know, quite a, a horrific... And violent. Uh, yeah, and violent. Yes. And, and it gave some examples in the lesson that I don't even want to talk about here, but it's yeah. not a positive thing to fall right. in the hands of the Assyrians. And then it, it concludes with this question. It says, The Assyrians could be incredibly cruel, even by the standards of the world at that time. And God was sending Jonah into the very heart of that empire? Is it any wonder that Jonah didn't want to go? Is that well, why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh? Because he was afraid of the Assyrians? And I have to assume maybe that's a piece of it. But when you ask that question to Jonah himself... What saith the scripture? Exactly. When you go to Jonah himself in chapter 4, yes. uh, why don't you read for us verses 2 and 3 of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Okay, and continue verse three. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> now the reason I kind of chuckle, it's a kind of odd checks to chuckle at, but the lesson has made the point that he was afraid to go to Assyria because he didn't want to die. Well, the reality is that the very thing he's calling for <laughs> right. because he's dying of he embarrassment, right? Mm -hmm. So he's sent out to this fearsome, uh, uh, cruel Assyria, Nation, yeah. and he runs away to Tarshish. The assumption from a human perspective, ah, he's afraid of their cruelty. He's running away. Yeah. But his own testimony is that, and again, as we know the story, they actually did listen to his preaching. They did yes. repent, and the door oh, did relent. And so I he's knew, like, Lord. lo and behold, I knew this would happen. Yeah. And that's... so. The point I put in the notes is that yes. while maybe cruelty could have been a part of it, according to his own testimony, the reason the primary he reason was his pride. He didn't want his reputation. In fact, Patriarchs and I mean Prophets and Kings 271, and you'll find this also on Wednesday's paragraph three lesson, says, When Jonah learned of God's purpose to spare the city, he allowed his mind to dwell upon the possibility of his being regarded as a false prophet. Jealous of his reputation. He lost sight of the infinitely greater value of the souls. 
in that wicked city. Hmm. So the idea being that the big fear in his life was not death, but it was disgrace. It was a, a, you know a what's fascinating also about this is Jonah's confidence that God would save the Ninevites. Yes. Like, in other words, he allowed his mind to dwell. Well, why dwell upon the possibility of God saving them? They're Ninevites. He's not going to save them. They're a bunch of heathen, you know, riffraff. Yeah. No, he, he was certain. Yeah, I so know how God is. If the they Lord repent, is gonna he's going to change his mind. And, and, and more than that, this is what speaks to me. He know that if God's sending me to people with a message... It's not for no reason. Mm. If he sends me with a message, people will hear and believe. Mm. And I think about the implications on us. Like, we have a message from God. Why should we ever, like, we should always be confident that somebody's going to hear and be saved. Amen. Well, that's exactly the confidence Jonah had. And lo and behold, it's exactly what happened. The people yeah. did hear his preaching. They the entire did city. repent. The Lord called off the destruction. Right. And so you could sit. if the story stopped right there, the Lord would have been successful and that he preached, got his message to the Ninevites, and they changed their evil ways. Praise right. the Lord. But let's go to the deeper lesson here, that God's purpose was to save the Ninevites and Jonah too. So he sent... You figure if, the, you, if you preach a series and you baptize the entire city, mm-hmm. you'd be shouting hallelujah. Right, not this Jonah, guy. he's sulking under <laughs> Right. Now, Jude 20 brings out this passage, uh, brings out this thought that I thought was very helpful in the lesson today, that... For Jonah, it was just as important that he be sent to the Ninevites as it was for the Ninevites that he be sent. Mm. Uh, The idea being that, well, I'll read verse 20, if you read verse 22 and 23 of Jude here. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on on, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, the lesson brought this out that notice that it starts off this passage in Jude here, verse 20, about how you as an individual build up yourselves, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. So it's about you staying yeah. strong in the Lord. And then immediately transitions to, now, work with some people this way, and other people you have to be straight and pull them right out of the fire. It it intimately ties our staying in Christ with our working for him to get others in Christ, too. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we see here in the experience of Jonah. Uh, in the paragraph 5 of Thursday Lessons, uh, lesson it says, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, Because God loved the Ninevites and wanted them in his kingdom. But God also called Jonah because God wanted Jonah to grow and become more like him as they worked together. I can't help but think about Jesus' words where he says in Matthew 11, All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, Mm -hmm. uh, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which Mm. means working with Christ. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Mm. And so in any that learning of him and that experience we gain with Christ, there's an experience we can gain only when we yes. take his yoke and work with him. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with Jonah. Exactly. So God's plan was to the Ninevites and to the messenger alike. And as it is, I today, don't know why we think like, oh, man, can you believe the Lord used a messenger who needed to grow? Well, <laughs> yeah. that I, as I was reviewing this lesson, Mark, I was thinking like, 
when did the Lord not use someone right. who couldn't use some growth? I'm thinking of Abraham, Moses in the Old Testament. You think right. of Peter, James, John in the New Testament. Yeah, there's Jonah, but all the rest of the times he worked with those perfect people. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well. Well, what lesson can we draw from that today? It's like I hear so many people. It's like, well, I don't have my, I can't preach to anybody else. I don't have all my stuff. To, right. Jonah didn't have all his stuff together That's either. Right. And the Lord was using that labor to help develop his own character. There's a statement in Desire of Ages, and I don't have the whole statement, but Ellen White talks about Jesus' choice of the disciples. Mm. And in that paragraph, she says, basically, notwithstanding their faults, mm -hmm. he chose them so that by association with him, they could become, you know, mm. their characters would be... So she's very clear that everyone, in fact, she says it in that particular paragraph, and I don't have a reference, but mm -hmm. every one of the disciples had, and she says, serious faults in that paragraph. So, mm. you know, to your point, in fact, God almost chooses people specifically because they have faults, <laughs> Yeah, because the work that he's giving them, their faults need, mm -hmm. you know, in order to be corrected. So it's always, he's almost got this dual application, everything. I'm going to work for you and through you to someone yes. else. And we should expect the same in to our lives. To fix you. Exactly. Well, we got to move on time-wise, but let's get to talking point number two, that peace yes. comes as we see Christ in his sanctuary. Okay, let's see this. All right. Now, in Monday's lesson, it highlighted this, and I really appreciated it. Sure. And it's actually found in the, in the uh, second chapter of Jonah's story in the book of Jonah. So we'll look at both of those very quickly, but... Um, when Jonah was swallowed by the great fish and he was down in the belly of the beast, as it were, he prayed to the Lord. Now, that's probably what we would expect people to do. But when the, he addressed the Lord from his circumstance, well, you read in verses, uh, let's see here. I believe it's verse 4 and verse 7. Why don't you read Jonah 2, verse four three. Yeah, He's ahead. saying, you, For you cast me into the deep, he's praying to the Lord here, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters hmm. surrounded me, etc., etc. And then again he says, as he's praying in verse 8, or uh, verse, verse 7, seven. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Now, that's interesting. Now, we would think, at least, I don't know what we would all think, but I would typically think, in the Old Testament, when they mention the temple, they're always talking about Jerusalem yeah. and, and, and the established building and where the rites and ceremonies and services were going here on earth. They didn't know about a heavenly temple, did they, Surely, mm -hmm. But notice he's praying to the Lord, and he says, sure. I'm praying to, your, to you in your temple. And... David, I remember this in, in the Psalm 73, when he had this really kind of a, uh, a spiritual crisis in his life where he was looking at the outcome of the lives of the wicked versus the lives of the righteous. Like, right. How can the righteous die young and, and have all these hardships, but the wicked seem to increase? In the and he says uh, in Psalm 73, 17, he, he essentially, I'm paraphrasing, I guess I could look it up real quick, but he said he almost lost his way, but... He thought of Christ in his sanctuary. He said, then I understood their end. Like he had to reframe it from heaven's perspective and know that there's a God in heaven. He's active on my behalf. He sees the end from the beginning. I can put my trust in him. And that's exactly what Jonah's doing from the belly of the beast. Did you have another passage you're looking up there? Well, I was thinking about when the temple was dedicated and David talks about how 
we know that uh, an earthly temple won't hold you. In other words, mm. David understood that that earthly temple was not going to house the Almighty. So right. even then, as much as in this is in the in the, Old the process of building that temple, um, he still knew that that God was greater than that temple, and he mm. realized the heavenly uh, the heavenly temple. Well, the quarterly, if you want to keep looking for that, but quarterly on Monday, paragraph five says explicitly, Jonah was not referencing the Jerusalem temple. Rather, he was talking about the heavenly sanctuary. That's where his hope existed, because that's where God and the salvation he offers truly come from. And the takeaway from me on that is, even as a Seventh-day Adventist, maybe I should say especially as a Seventh-day Adventist, since we have our understanding, and I believe the correct understanding of Christ's work in the heavenly Mm -hmm. sanctuary, we might tend to think of that as a in time understanding only, or at least a New Testament, but surely not in the Old Testament. But you're right, when they were dedicating the temple, they're thinking of Christ descending from his heavenly sanctuary. That's the great original. When Moses was called to build the tabernacle, it was after the pattern shown him, right? The pattern of the heavenly, which Hebrews 8 reminds us of. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, this is what I was reminded mm-hmm. of, is when Stephen is called to stand before the Sanhedrin to answer for his faith in Christ. He speaks to them about the temple they love so much. But there came a point, and I'll just read this for you fascinatingly enough. After he reviews in Acts chapter 7, verses 44 to 47, about how the temple came to be from Moses down through David and Solomon, he then says in verse 48, However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? So he's quoting from Old Testament scripture to show that everyone has always known that the earthly was a model for the heavenly. And that when Jonah was in the belly of that great fish and he's crying out to God, he's not just going through at the time of the evening sacrifice, going through these oblations and he was thinking these thoughts and ceremony. He was having a prayer of the spiritual heart to Jesus in his heavenly sanctuary. And the reason that's so powerful to me is that of all people on earth, the Seventh-day Adventist church has a message about the truth of the heavenly sanctuary that has been true ever since there was a sanctuary. I mentioned to you as we're reviewing this Habakkuk where he says the Lord is in it and we have it that the Lord is in his holy temple. Yes, every worship service. Whether we sing it or the song plays, you have this song, but it's not from Hebrews, it's from Habakkuk. Mm -hmm. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. Mm -hmm. The temple isn't on the earth. The whole earth stays silent because he's in his temple in heaven. And the passage that came to my mind uh, that I was looking for was in 2 Chronicles, and David is talking about the temple, and he says um, in verse 18, 6, 2 Chronicles 6, verse 18, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. So it wasn't a totally new concept, obviously. Exactly. And so, but I think sometimes we as Seventh-day Adventists get in the mind that it's a unique to Seventh-day We're the only people who see a heavenly sanctuary when the reality is the whole scripture is built with the understanding that the sanctuary on earth is just a model of what's in heaven. That's right. And that's where you can read in Great Controversy. And the heart of God's work in heaven. Yes, and that's where Great Controversy 488 and I put it in the study note, says the sanctuary in heaven is the very center of Christ's work in behalf of men. It concerns every living soul upon the earth. It opens to view the plan of redemption, 
bringing us down to the very close of time and revealing the triumphant issue of the contrast between righteousness and sin. It is of the utmost importance that all should thoroughly investigate these subjects and be able to give an answer to everyone that asketh the reason of the hope that is in him. So, and as you were saying, when we were reviewing this, we read that and say, yeah, the sanctuary now is in, right, is the center of his work in behalf of men. But as we're seeing in scripture, uh, even though the sacrifice wasn't ready prior mm-hmm. to the cross, yet the preparation was all there and the temple was was readying for that sacrifice and yes. still evidently the center of where God was as his Absolutely. people were directed to pray to him in his temple. That's right. So especially now more than ever, when we know that Christ is literally in his temple doing this fine where should our hope mm. and sin? We oftentimes look back to where he was born or elect to the Calvary or that yes. Holy Land or something. Well, there's one place right now where Christ <laughs> is living and active and that is in the heavenly sanctuary. So That's right. let's keep that in mind. All right, finally, talking point number three, a straight message has power to convict. Mm-hmm. And this comes from Tuesday's lesson. That, And it brings out the point that in the book Tuesday's of Jonah... Tuesday's lesson and the whole story of Jonah. <laughs> sure. But the actual preaching of the message is only found in a, f- a few verses. In fact, right. we only have recorded, if well, I'm not mistaken... I can mistaken, recite it. It's yeah. so simple. Yeah, go ahead. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Period. You nailed it. And and one of the things, one of the reasons I, I know that so well is in teaching on conditional prophecies. So mm-hmm. We talk about the spirit of prophecy, and, and Ellen White had conditional. All of God's prophets have had conditional prophecies. But typically you think of conditional is an if-then. So mm-hmm. there's got to be an if in there. We know Jonah's prophecy was conditional because God chose to save because they repented. Right. But there's no conditional element. And so having taught that over and over like you, there's no if there right well at least it's not recorded in scripture because right. the scripture said it almost gives a picture he walked well, around saying being, one sentence over and over the but, point <laughs> being it's up to god whether it's going to be conditional whether it was stated or not but jonah's statement was very simple and straightforward yeah, you got 40, 40 days. days and end of his overthrown yeah and so I, I i imagine did he say it like with a with the soft and sincere voice or was he just going around saying like because we know he wasn't eager to go in the first place yeah and so Whatever he said, the takeaway, unmistakably clear message was 40 days and then it will be destroyed. You know, we haven't talked about this, so I'm going to say this and then right. reprimanded later. But this is, <laughs> there's, and I'm not negating what I'm about to say. Like we always talk about um, people will, people will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. You know, those little mm-hmm. bumper sticker, Hallmark yes. card sayings and whatever else. And there's a lot of truth to that. What have right. you. Jesus, when he uttered his scathing rebukes, there were tears in his tears voice. Tears in his voice that. every time. Yeah, and 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 there should be, but I want to make it clear: there were no tears in Jonah's voice, mm. because when you look at the story, he clearly had no compassion for the people. Yeah, he didn't care, and yet God still used the message. Now, I'm going to say it's the mercy of God. I'm not saying Jonah shouldn't have had that's tears. That's his voice. right way to go about it, right? I'm st- I'm just saying that even though he did a, evidently a lot wrong. Because he gave the message God gave him, the message of truth itself was designed to produce an effect yes. in spite of the weakness of yeah. the message. Regardless of the, of the persona of the messenger, the message itself cuts. This That's is what right. we see in Scripture, that the Word of God is the cutting agent, not the messenger. And right? the Spirit of God touches the heart, even in even with yes. Jonah. <laughs> Which is why, for instance, in, we've mentioned this before, I think, but in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches... He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, 
the Messiah mm-hmm. you killed is now Lord in Christ. Yeah. And they say, brother, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. But in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen starts preaching to the leaders, basically the same message says they were cut to the heart. That's right. But they didn't convict, convert, but they were convicted. And here in Jonah's story, he preaches a straight, and you want to talk about present truth, you know, timely <laughs> and relevant. Yes. I mean, he's saying, like, just over a month from now, you're going to be done, right? And they took it to heart. Mm-hmm. They said, man, the hour of his judgment has come, and we, we have to repent. And The implication to us is, had he worded it in a different way, he, he gave it the way God intended it, it wouldn't have had the same effect. Mm. And my mind is drawn to a passage we looked at in the study of the Isaiah quarterly in Isaiah 26, mm. where it says in verses 9 and 10, um, for when your judgments are in the earth, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Mm. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. So direct contrast, let grace wow. be shown. The wicked won't t- learn righteousness, but let the judgments come. And that's going to bring Because for the wicked, he needs his conscience aroused and awakened. And that's... Mm. That, type of message is designed to awaken the conscience. That's what it did with Jonah. And so let's not get confused. While Jonah might have had his ups and downs, it wasn't the personality of Jonah that was the essence of his success or not. It's not like he phrased it just right and it worked and we should find out that magic phrase. It almost doesn't matter how Jonah was saying because God had a message for those people and it was appointed, present truth, relevant, practically applicable, you know, now is your time message. And the application I'm taking away this, and I would encourage our Sabbath school teachers, friends, we have a timely, present, relevant message to give. The hour of his judgment has come. And while we that need will to stir always, the people. Exactly. In fact, we have this statement. In fact, you referred to it. You want to read through that for it? It's from manuscript release page, uh, page 19. Uh, volume 19, page 41. Yeah. It says, The light that Christ revealed to his servant, the prophet, the prophet John, is for us. In his revelation are given the three angels' messages, warnings against the wickedness that would exist in the last days and against the mark of the beast. We are not only to read and understand this message, but to proclaim it with no uncertain sound to the world. By presenting these things revealed to John, we shall be able to stir the people. The usual subjects on which the ministers of nearly all other denominations dwell will not move them. We must proclaim our God-given message to them. The world is to be warned by the proclamation of this message. If we blanket it, if we hide our light under a bushel, if we so circumscribe ourselves that we cannot reach the people, we are answerable to God for our failure to warn the world. Oh, that is heavy. Mm. But she's basically saying we have a message. message. It is relevant. It's what God wants to say. Now get out there and say it. Now, I agree with you. We should always do it in a loving, kind way, but we should never, what she says, circumscribe or hide it or blanket it in such a way that they don't actually hear the message. That's right. If you could take anything away from Jonah's preaching is they knew what he, where he was coming from and what he was saying. There's, there's no reason not to give the message God has given us. If, if we, I know people like, well, I just don't know if I'm loving enough yet. Seriously, we're never mm. going to be loving enough. We've right. got to trust the Lord and say, Lord, you're going to have to help me. And then... We can't excuse ourselves from giving the warning message he Mm. intended to give and trust that he will help us to give it in the right way. That's right. And if we truly realize the situation, the eternal, you know, significance of where we are in this world's history, it's like the guy crying out fire and the thing. It's like, well, I don't know if they really like me enough to just say fire. They'll get past you. You know, (laughs) just get the message out. Um, So 
Anyway, in summary, there's so much to cover here. It does. And so there's a lot of great lessons from the story of Jonah. And I want to close with what the lesson And incidentally, Jonah's message, because he gave the message the Lord gave him, saved the entire city. Amen. The message, if we give the message the Lord gives us, we can't even uh, uh, know at this point in time how many will be saved in the kingdom of God because we chose to listen to and obey the Lord. Amen. Now, the quarterly ends with Friday's lesson and has this great quote from Patriarch, uh, Prophets and Kings 266. In the charge given him, Jonah had been entrusted with a heavy responsibility, yet he who had bidden him go was able to sustain his servant and grant him success. Had the prophet obeyed unquestioningly, he would have been spared many bitter experiences and would have been blessed abundantly. Yet in the hour of Jonah's despair, the Lord did not desert him. Through a series of trials and strange providences, the prophet's confidence in God and in his infinite power to save was to be revived. Now, the Lord obviously has a message for us to give today, and Mm -hmm. we don't want to be like reluctant Jonah's. We want to be faithful, but we also want to be successful, and Jonah was that. So we want to pray that the Lord will grow us and, by his grace, make our work a success for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the story of Jonah, and thank you for the not only the history facts of it, but the applications in our lives today. Help us to seek you in your sanctuary. Help us to give that message clearly to the world and help us by your grace to become more like you as we share in your burden for the lost. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.